Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, queens. We're so excited we have Brianna, or we're going to call her Bree. Butler. She is a registered dietitian and former professional athlete in the Houston area. Upon retirement from the WNBA and overseas basketball, Bree followed her passion for health and sports by pursuing a career in performance dietetics, believing from experience that nutrition efforts and performance are congruous. Since switching careers, Bree has worked with collegiate professional and health and wellness clients in private practice and under world-renowned brands, empowering them to reach their goals while including foods they love. Above all, Brie finds purpose in being a wife to her husband, Bryce, and full-time mom to her children, Brayden and Liana. Did I say that right? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Brie. We're so excited to to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Definitely excited to chat with you guys as well. Yeah. So, you know, one person's journey is a big part of their interest, right? So tell us a little bit about your one, were you always a big basketball? Because everybody that listens to this knows I'm a big basketball person. Um, <laughs> did you end up falling in love with it later? And then how did you end up um, evolving in your professional sports career? Uh, great question. So it's funny, basketball was actually the only sport that I really liked when I was younger. I tried a lot of things. My parents will tell you like, I tried Little League, like soccer. I quit soccer, <laughs> tried karate, quit karate. They were like, you just would not stick to anything. I actually <laughs> loved ballet, so that was something else. <laughs> but I, I got into basketball because my sister was playing. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it seems interesting. And, you know, if she can do it, then I can do it. I was a big, like, if she can do it, I can do it. Hence why I tried soccer and karate. And so I was like, let me, you know, let me try it and see and really just fell in love with the game. I played it even though, you know, through like grade school and stuff, I tried out other stuff. I just, I stuck with basketball. I really did. I loved it. And eventually it got to a point where I realized that I could go further, you know, started getting letters, started getting offers and it's like, okay, you know, you can, you can potentially go to college and at the time when I was growing up in Houston, we had a WNBA team called the Houston Commons. Mm -hmm. Most big basketball fans are familiar with them. Mm -hmm. Four time back to back to back to back WNBA champions. And we had season tickets. And so that was my first exposure to professional women's basketball. I didn't know overseas was happening and all that stuff at the time. But for me, I saw those ladies and I thought, okay, you can actually make a profession out of this. As I, like I said, as I went on in my career, I realized that I could take it farther and farther and farther. And I said, well, I've gotten this far. Why not, you know, pursue it even more? But that kind of transitioned for me as I started getting more interested in health and wellness and seeing how it actually impacted my sport and my play. 
I think I first realized that when I was in college and high school, I wasn't worried about it, <laughs> just to be honest. But when I got to college and started getting exposed to more information in, around nutrition, started testing out some things and saying, oh, okay, you know, this can really have an impact. But when I turned pro is when I really tried to start implementing things more seriously. And I had my best years professionally when I really focused on nutrition. But when I, you know, started doing that, I realized, okay, what kind of resources do we have? And so that's really what pushed me into becoming someone that was a part of the sports nutrition field. Mm-hmm. So curious, did you get intrigued by basketball or the sports that your sister was doing because you wanted to do it with your sister? Or was it the competitive piece <laughs> of <laughs> sibling rivalry? You know what? <laughs> It was some of both. I'm not going to lie. It was some of both uh, because we had some all-out duels on the basketball court, okay? So I was always, like I said, I was always like, if she can do it, I can do do it. And it was kind of from that competitive spirit where, like, I might be smaller, but I can go out there. I can hold my own. You know, I I can do this, too. And so it was definitely from a competitive side. But also, at the same time, we were best friends. So I really wanted to be around her as much as possible. We were only, you know, 18 months apart. So for us, it was like whatever we could do together, we loved it. But at the same time, we were very competitive. So if you ask my parents or any of our friends, they'll say, you know, what were some of those backyard basketball duels like? And and they uh, got pretty competitive. Nine times out of ten, I was going inside crying or quitting or something like that. So Tony crying or quitting. Over my head to this day. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I can't imagine having a WNBA team in your hometown. Talk about seeing it and knowing you can be it. Like, I remember I was an Iowa girl, so I grew up watching Vivian Stinger and the Iowa Hawkeyes, and Mm -hmm. that was just amazing to me. So I can't imagine being able to watch an NBA team, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. No, it was huge. You also said something that was really interesting. It sounds like you really didn't have pressure either by your parents or on yourself to play at another level, you are kind of like, oh, I'm getting letters, which means I must be good. Do you think that was a pivotal piece of it that you just kind of naturally let it happen? Definitely. And I think it was something that was really important to my parents as well. So my dad actually was a professional track runner. So mm-hmm. he was he actually the year that they boycotted the Olympics, he was like top in the world in the 200 meter. Oh, wow. And so... For him, it was like, you know, if you guys want to play sports, you can play it. I'll support you, you know, but you don't have to like, and he always kind of hid all the things that he did. We found out later, you know, all the medals and stuff that he had won, but it was something that they wanted us to choose for ourselves and Mm -hmm. it was fun, right? So when I was young, it was fun. I enjoyed going to practice. I enjoyed doing basketball tournaments, all that type of stuff. And my mom too, she was very supportive in in whatever we wanted to do. And she always said, you know, if it ever gets to a point where it's not fun for you, you don't have to do it. You can move on. You can do something else. You guys have so much potential and you're not, you know, your identity is not basketball. And so I think with all of that combined, it really helped me to really enjoy the game in its rawest form. And then it allowed me to say, okay, you know, it's, it's my choice and I can decide if I want to play basketball or not. I don't have to, but I want to. I've worked pretty hard for it, so I, I think I want to keep going. Nice. That sounds like some good flexibility there your parents gave you. 
Um, well, I'm going to yeah. kind of set you up for the next question. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Becca has so much to ask you. I'm just going to well, take you, over. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not hogging it. But one thing I think that, that is really helpful in the next two questions Kara is going to follow up with is, can you kind of lay out what the life of a professional women's basketball player is? Because I think most people don't understand. Most of you guys are playing two different leagues. You're playing overseas mm-hmm. ball. Then you're coming home and playing Amer- see, see? American ball, and they don't realize the pressure and the fact that you guys don't get much downtime, unlike the NBA. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that is a great question. And that is actually something I have to explain on a regular basis. So what life is like, so it's essentially, let's say, you know, you're fresh out of college, you get drafted. First and foremost, not a lot of people get drafted. There's literally three rounds and there's 144 people in the league because each team has maybe 10 to 12 players, 10 to 10 to 13, depending on how many, how much money a team has. But you go to a team, you know, it's very cutthroat, hard to get in, hard to stay in. It's very, very difficult. And let's say you are, you're, you're one of those 144 ladies that are a part of the WNBA. You know, you have your WNBA season you know, it's, it's a normal day. So you wake up, you know, you maybe go lift weights, you do practice, you do film, all that. And then you travel from city to city. You're not, you're not traveling private jets. You're traveling mm-hmm. commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Southwest, you. you know, yeah. you're trying to get to your line, you know, which is very unfortunate and things that they're trying to fix and change now. But you know, you're staying in normal hotels and you're, you're going from city to city to play. And when your season is over, you likely have already signed a contract to go overseas. So you maybe have a week. Some people have a little bit longer. Some people have less time. Some people have like a day and they have to be on the plane headed to Europe, headed to South America, headed to China, headed to Japan, wherever they're going to play, Australia. And you will spend probably the next six to eight months overseas playing basketball. So essentially, it's year round. You mm-hmm. go from WNBA to overseas to WNBA to overseas, <laughs> unless you're not playing WNBA. If you're not playing WNBA, then you might have the summer off. But a lot of those ladies that aren't playing are still training really hard in case they get a call. Sure. Because you never know, you might get picked up or an opportunity might come up somewhere overseas that you can play, you know, during the summertime. So you just never know. You have to be ready for any opportunity. But it is year round basketball. So you don't get like, you know, the NBA or other sports league, you don't get a month or two months or however long off to rest your body. There is no such thing. You are going year round because that's how you make your money. You're going to make the majority of your money overseas. And like I said, they're changing a lot of this now to make it more lucrative to stay in in the States and not go overseas because of the injuries, because of, you know, the fact of, well, I'm going to have to, you know, sit out part of my WNBA season because I want to make sure I get paid overseas and I can't afford to be hurt during that season, right? So you've got EuroLeague and EuroCup and they're paying you a lot of money to be there. And they, a lot of times they're paying you more than what you were making in the WNBA mm-hmm. used to be. So it was a priority to be healthy for your European season. So there's a lot of a lot of little things that happen between all of, all of that that goes on, but it's definitely year round and it's pretty taxing on the body. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. I mean, an intensive year, and then also trying to figure out 
how to my body recovery peak season. I mean, I would think you would have a lot of resources available to you to help with all of that. But was is that true? What kind of resources were available to you during your career? Oh man, it, it <laughs> not many. I think when I was in WNBA, the first time I met with a dietitian was I don't know. It was probably the end of my career. So it was like my fourth year. I think I was with the Indiana fever and we had like a team talk with a dietitian. But other than that, the resources, I mean, you have doctors like normal physical therapists and athletic trainers, but even still, it's something that you kind of have to set up. You are kind of responsible for yourself and which is, you know, kind of, it comes with the territory of being a professional athlete. You're going to be responsible for yourself in a lot of aspects of the word, but in regard to resources, there's not a ton, right? So like, you know, with NBA or like NFL, you'll see like these really nice facilities and like Mm -hmm. this whole training area and like, you know, um, training tables and I mean, just the works, right? You will not see that in the WNBA locker room. You just won't. You will see training tables and maybe carts with athletic training gear on it, tape, that type of stuff, kinesio stuff, ice. <laughs> but a lot of times it's not going to be very much. And and I'll keep reiterating that I know they're trying their hardest to shift the narrative in this area with the new collective bargaining agreement. And so I'm hoping that things will continue to progress forward. But resources were just weren't there. And they definitely weren't there whenever you go overseas. <laughs> and a, a recent thing, over there. really. I mean, this kind of, I think, to the general public came out a little bit more last year mm-hmm. at the... Mm-hmm. During the tournament? Yeah, during mm-hmm. the tournament. And I think, again, it, it, it took has taken a lot of time and then a lot of voices, yeah. I'm sure, to let... That this is very like the inequality of sport and finances yeah. going on. So, mm-hmm. well, and finally, it was Absolutely. on primetime TV. I mean, sure. I think people would watch more. Mm-hmm. Mel's were saying like the girls' games were far better than the men's, but they they would never have the opportunity yeah. to watch them. So, hopefully, that <laughs> Royce are sounding. He's like yeah. doing doing raise the roof. <laughs> like he's even saying like the games were far better. <laughs> you got us on a soapbox. Oh my God. <laughs> So as a female athlete, where do you foresee the biggest areas of change is still needed? Or again, tell us a little bit more about what changes are happening. Yeah. yeah. Give us a little little update on what's going on. Yeah, no. So I would say in, in regard to changes that are happening. So I know that the people that are in the WNBPA and just people that are working within the WBA and around it are working to create more resources. So exactly what we're talking about now. So I know Neka Ogunwake actually just just talked about a partnership with, you know, a hormone testing company. And though, you know, for us as healthcare professionals, we might say, oh, you know, there might be some better options out there. For them, it's something, right? Mm-hmm, so sure. it's, it's something more than what they've had before. So I know they announced that they've they've also had some brand partnerships that have come come about in regard to providing some of the ladies with just fuel resources, something, you know, to have some sort of like snack table that they can choose from, you know, making sure that the refrigerators are filled with hydration options, you know, simple things like that 
have changed. Salary has changed. And that's been one of the biggest things that the ladies were advocating for, because at the end of the day, this is their livelihood. They have children, they have spouses, they have Mm -hmm. a life to live. And so they want to make their livelihood playing in the WBA. And in order to do that, the salary should had to be more. So we look at now max salaries changing and even, you know, veteran minimums changing and rookie contracts changing, which is great. So you'll see as the years go on, just more resources becoming available to the women of the WNBA in, in, all, in all different kinds of ways. So that's a benefit. And even still, with those changes coming, I still think there need to be more resources, right? right so right. I think there still needs to be more opportunity to figure out what's going on with your body. And because I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're still women And, you know, your body is going to function differently than a man. You need Mm -hmm. different things. And, you know, you're at the age where you want to rear children. You want to have a family. And that's so important. And there's a lot of things that go into that process. And it requires people that specialize, people that can really give you sound science-based information that can help you get from point A to point B and aren't looking at you as just a basketball player. I don't know. I think I really could go on. I think there's oh, yeah. so many different areas for improvement, uh, um, <laughs> but we have to kind of take it one day at a time. So, Bree, I, I think it's helpful if you could actually throw out some average salaries. I think people are like, oh, yeah, they don't make that much. But I think they need to actually hear in an average WNBA season, let's say even five years ago, what would have been an average salary? Yeah. So five years ago for a rookie, you're probably looking at anywhere between like 30,000 to 50,000, depending on where you're like, yeah. So a rookie in the WNBA. Professional athlete. Yes. And that is. Yes. And and again, do you feel. uh, Living in metro areas where cost of living is probably the highest. And they're. Yep. Yep. So then it would be really hard not. And then going internationally to make a little bit more money, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to. (laughs) Yes, because you have to. That's the key point, right? So as a rookie, and I remember, you know, I I was a rookie in my little old apartment here here in Phoenix off of Van Buren. Like you, you know, you're living like anybody else would Mm -hmm. here in, in the city. And you've got your apartment and, you know, you're doing things that, you know, you're being a professional athlete. So you don't really have the resources that you're supposed to. So like I said, you know, that's, I think, you know, some of my friends were saying, well, that's my, that's what I make. And they were, you know, like elementary school teachers. And so we were making the same salary. And, and now granted mine was made in the span of like four months or so. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't go overseas and continue making money, then what were my options? Right. It was just that, that's it. Mm -hmm. Because this is kind of, before things started really getting crazy with social media and things like that, like even five years ago, the majority of your money was being made from just playing the sport. And so that's rookie veteran minimum was 50,000 and max contracts capped at a hundred thousand. So think about a max contract, right? Like a Diana Taurasi, a Candace Mm -hmm. Parker and their max contract can be a hundred thousand where what do you think NBA max contract? When LeBron signing his super max deal, like is there a max? If someone presented know. him with like a hundred thousand, right? Like he would be like, "What is this?" 
you know, is this for just like, is this 100,000? Is this for me to get out of bed? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So it's really a shame. And I think seeing that and knowing that and having the support also from NBA athletes and NBA management has really helped push the envelope in this area because it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And that, that was never normal. That was never okay because we were putting in the same work as any other professional athlete, right? And and that's and it's the same thing in a lot of women's leagues, right? So the National Women's Soccer League, yeah. they're fighting for equal pay mm-hmm. now. And it shouldn't be a matter of, well, you know, why, why are we even arguing the fact, yeah. right? Like it should be automatic. We're putting in the same kind of work. We train our bodies the same way. We go through the same amount of effort. We dedicate the same amount of time to our craft. Why should there be any less pay? So, yeah, that's I know it's eye-opening, but that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know, Kara, being the maternal health specialist, you're right. Oh, I, I mean, just thinking beyond... about, like, how do you you have to make a decision to, about reproductive health and having babies and not mm-hmm. sure getting paid? Mm-hmm. and Taking your babies with you, like being able to and travel. And yeah, a family on that salary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can go down the like, rabbit hole. My favorite, <laughs> favorite Olympic picture was when Alyssa Montano was – not Alyssa Montano, um, uh, Allison Phoenix, sorry. Yeah. And her little girl, like, running up to her, her mom after the mm-hmm. race. And I'm like, yes. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we all yep. want is to be able to, one, let her have that. And also, yeah. like, you can you can be an athlete and a mom. It doesn't need to be or. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, even now, you know, you think about being an athlete and a mom, being an athlete and being pregnant, being an athlete and and being a breastfeeding mom, you know, like there's so many different things that come with being a woman Mm -hmm. in general, and then pairing that with your athletic career and making the sacrifice, right? There's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make, a lot of decisions that have to be made. But at the end of the day, the two should be able to coincide without you having to risk the health of your body uh, the well-being of your family or any of that stuff. So that's why I say, you know, even though more resources are coming available, they need to continue to become more available so that these women can have what they want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that what led you to create your company Power Portions? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that is exactly what led us. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I say us because so my sister and I started the company after being overseas and it actually started as a recipe, a recipe blog because <laughs> we were overseas and we were just, you know, trying out different recipes and saying, okay, like, I wonder if this could be helpful for performance. And then, you know, we had a lot of teammates that were like, well, can you guys like cook these meals? Because <laughs> yeah. we really need, like, we need bigger portions this, at this time. Um, My Fit Foods was still around and, the portions were pretty small. And I just remember we were all like, we, we need more food than this. This is not enough. Mm-hmm. And we also needed to be like more customized towards us. At that time, we hadn't been exposed per, uh, to personal chefs or anything like that. So it was like, okay, how can we make this happen? So we turned it into a meal prep company specifically for athletes and trying to make sure they had a resource. And we actually created or thought at the time we were creating a one-stop shop. We had actually brought in Karen Hosenfeld to do the mm-hmm. nutrition side of things. And then uh, we had a couple chefs too, and we were really just making it work because we were like, why is it that 
when we come from overseas, we don't have anyone. If we're not playing in a, in a professional league, you know, if you're not an NBA or NFL or whatever, and you come home from overseas, you don't have anybody. You don't have you don't have the dietitians. You don't have the physical therapists. You don't have the doctors. You don't have anybody. You have to build your own team. And so we were like, why not create a resource for pros um, and be a, and be something, a, a place that they could come or people that they could come to to get the things that they need. And so that's how we started out, knowing there was a need based off of the lack of things and resources that we had as professional athletes. And so now it's really evolved into just nutrition. So we ended up dropping the meal prep side. Those of you that have been in meal prep before, you know <laughs> how crazy it can be. It is yeah. another beast. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was like, okay, what are, what are we most passionate about? And really it just boiled down to, to it being nutrition and, and wanting to provide athletes with a resource, especially if they don't have one. And you bring up such a great point that even diet culture has infused into those types of of companies because I remember when I was working in football and I had a rookie and he was wanting to, he didn't have enough time to prepare the meals he didn't really have enough experience and so he didn't have he didn't want to buy a chef yet or use a chef so we were doing like mm-hmm. one of those Hello Freshes. <laughs> And he's like, uh, Becca, yep. do we have any other options? I was like, why? What's wrong? Is he's he like, I have to buy like three <laughs> of the entrees for one night. So when they would ship them, he would get home and there would be like boxes <laughs> upon boxes on oh his front God. porch. That's my supper for tonight. <laughs> and he's like, there's got to be a better option. Like, I'm a, he's a, I'm a grown beep man. I need some food. And I was like, yeah. oh, like, yeah, I hadn't even just, thought about that. Of course, the diet culture exactly. has ingrained it. Itself mm-hmm. and something that has become popular. He showed me a picture. It looked like Amazon Christmas. There was like all these boxes on his front porch. <laughs> oh, poor fella. Oh. Man, you got to eat. You got to find a way to eat, man. If it's stacking those meals on top of each other, you got to do Right. Eat, so I totally get it. <laughs> well, Bree, thanks so much for giving us some insight to the WNBA and your experience and what you've got going on, you sound pretty busy out there. So how do you live out the fit philosophy of balancing performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self? You know, for me, balancing all of that means one thing, making sure I carve out time for my well-being. So every morning, you know, making sure that I carve out some time for myself to just get my day started. I'm, I'm a Christian. And so for me, it's, can I start in the word? Can I, you know, sit down, have a cup of tea and really just get my mind where it needs to be before my day starts. That's moving my body. That's being intentional about what I'm putting in my body, whether that's a Reese's peanut butter cup or vegetables. It doesn't matter. You know, or both. Or both. I am intentional about it. So, you know, I think that philosophy means so many different things. And for me, it's just implementing it throughout my day and on a daily basis. Love it. Yeah. And I hear you're enjoying some uh, unseasonably cooler weather in Phoenix right now. You know, I am I am shocked. So my family and I just got back from San Diego. We actually went out there to visit a family member and the weather was so nice. And we're like, dang, you know, we're heading back to Phoenix and it's so hot. 
And we got back and we were pleasantly surprised that the temperature <laughs> had dropped. So we're like, yes, you know, fall is finally here. The weather broke. And so hopefully we'll enjoy some cooler weather yeah. as we head into the Christmas time. Yay. Sweater season in Phoenix. Hoodies and jeans. I'm, I'm going to come up with a song. Yes. Hoodies and hoodies. jeans. Hoodies and jeans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i'm here for it <laughs> well Bree, thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure absolutely thank you so much for having me i appreciate it you bet bye queens today's episode is brought to you by yours truly i'm excited to announce the releasing of my book finding your sweet spot in sport avoiding relative energy deficit in sport also known as red s by optimizing your energy balance be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website www.beccamacomble.com bye queens for additional information on today's topic and guests follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at fit for a queen Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.